Hey guys, this is Phil and you're listening to the Vision Church Podcast. We want to thank you for being a part of what God is doing at Vision by listening to these podcasts and, you know, allowing God to minister to you through them. This past Sunday, we talked about a reason to be happy. And, you know, we know from the Bible that it says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so I think you're going to get a lot out of this podcast. So just press in and allow Jesus to minister to you. Wow. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad everybody had a great Christmas, and I'm excited to get to bring the word to you this morning. My Zach and I, I really appreciate um, our team jumping in last week because, you know, we were out um, because we went to Orlando, and we got to be a part of Jesus 21, and, uh, and so I want to share a few things that God you know, just really laid on our hearts. And Zach and I just had an opportunity to just soak in the presence of God and to be around like-minded people that with hearts on fire, hearts ablaze. You know, because at the end of every announcement video that we do, what do they always say? They say, we are Vision Church. Vision for life, right? Well, you know what vision for life is? Jesus is vision for life. He's the only vision for life. He's the vision for your marriage. He's the vision for your family. He is vision for your kids and the way you raise them. He, he's the vision for everything involving our life. And to just be in a place where um, Jesus is being lifted up and there is such a hunger because you know, what happens to you when you get around other people? Because I, John Maxwell says this. He says that you're the average of, of your five closest friends. So the type of person that you are, you're, you're the average of the people that you hang around the most. So if you hang around down and outers, they pull you down. Relationships will, will, will either pull you one direction or the other. They'll either pull you down or they'll help you. They'll help you do better, right? And so sometimes, it took me a while to learn this because, you know, I, I was always taught loyalty, 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 loyalty. Be loyal, you know, to, to friends. But what the issue was is that I was hanging around with friends that I was being loyal to that were not good influence for my life. And so the more important thing is for me to be loyal to God, for me to be loyal to Him, to His presence and I, I can recognize the Jesus in people around me. I can recognize the God in them. And I get excited when I get around people that are living at a higher level than I am in their relationship with God because it draws me higher. Sometimes I come in, I do my study early in the morning, so Zach never really sees me study because he doesn't get up that early, you know. He's still living that lifestyle, you know, where you can get up 30 minutes before work and make it and look like fresh, you know. I mean, he, he wakes up and he looks just like he does right now, you know, kind of deal. And, you know, and that's, that's not me. I get up early and I, I'm an early guy. Something happened, I, I think, when I worked at the post office. I had to wake up at 3.30, 4 in the morning, every morning. 
and it broke me of the nightlife, and it got me, you know, accustomed to waking up early, and so now I'm up early all the time. Anyway, I'm sorry. I, this is, I'm making this too long of a story. My point was this, is that Zach doesn't see me study, but sometimes I come in the afternoon because that's when he does his study time. He gets off work, and he'll you know, and I'll walk in and I'll see him listening to a message or I'll see him with his Bible and his notepad and he's taking notes and he's studying the word. And you know what it does? It challenges me. I want to go sit down and get in the word again. Why? Because that relationship challenges me and it makes me better, you know? And so it's important for us to have those kinds of relationships and not be loyal to the relationships that are dragging us down that are not helping us, you know, because the enemy has a vision for your life too. The vision for your life that he has is to steal, kill, destroy. But Jesus' vision for your life is to give you abundant life, life and life more abundantly. Aren't you thankful for that? Well, how many of you think we ought to pray before we get started? Why don't you put your hands on your heart? Let's pray this. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you, Lord. Oh, God, thank you for your presence. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Even here in silence, his presence is here. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just ask you for ears to hear and eyes to see, a heart to receive. Lord, speak in me, speak to me, speak through me, and speak in spite of me. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, how many of you are ready to get into the Word? Yeah? Hey, first of all, I wanted to say this. I wanted to thank you so much, those of you that have given us cards and gift cards and, and wow, lots of restaurant gift cards. I was like, whoa, okay. Uh, we're gonna wow, and th no, but we're so thankful. I mean, we are we are so thankful, and I wanted to make sure I let you know that we love them. Nicole said we love those gift cards. Yes, we do. All right, if you have your Bible, turn in your Bible to the book of James, the book of James, and I want to talk to you a little bit this this morning a little bit more about the kingdom of God. You know, we started talking about the kingdom of God before we rolled into this Christmas season. And so I wanted to continue. I felt in my heart to continue a little bit more on it, but God gave me a really interesting title of this message this morning, and it's a reason to be happy. A reason to be happy. If you don't have a reason to be happy, I'm gonna give you one this morning, all right? So it'll help you put a smile on your face. And get excited about life again. Amen. But I want to bring out a couple of points about the kingdom of God. You know, in a kingdom, the king owns everything. In a kingdom, in a true kingdom, even here on earth, the king owns everything. And so, so God owns everything, right? And so you and I, you know, the pressure is off of us because we don't own everything everything. What we are is God has made us rulers, not owners. He has given us the responsibility to steward what he, belongs to him. Does that make sense? And so that's why he told Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 verse 26, he said, listen, have dominion. 
over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the beasts of the field. He said, go and sow seed and replenish the earth, right? Be fruitful and multiply. But nowhere in that list did he say, go and have dominion over your fellow man. He didn't say it. In fact, God's MO is not to have dominion over us. He wanted a family. That's why you, he calls you his son and his daughter. Oh, it's going to get good in here this morning. And so think about this. You have been called to a much greater calling. You have been called to a calling to carry out his plan on earth. That's your calling. That's my calling is I, I come in here on Sunday mornings and when, when I love to, as I'm praying, I just always feel to remind God as I'm spending time on my face before God that Lord, I want your will to be done. Uh, please speak through me. Lord, bring your words. Say what you want said to your people. Why? Because my job is to carry out his plan and purpose on Sunday morning and in every day of my life. Amen. Say amen to that. That's good. So in a kingdom, there also what the king says is law. This is why you don't see God joking around all that often. You don't see him flippantly saying things. Why? Because what he says is law. What he says becomes law. Man, that is so good. So I know you're in James. I want to read to you out of Isaiah 55, verse 11. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible because of the power that's in it. I mean, the Bible is so powerful all over, but this scripture really stands out in a lot of ways. Isaiah 55, look at verse 11. It says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, or you could use the word empty or unfruitful. But it shall accomplish what I please, and it will prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So think about this. When you and I transform our vocabulary, and we line it up with what God says, and we begin to say that about our lives, we begin to say that about our marriages, we begin to say that about our enemies, we begin to say that about our boss that we don't like, we be, do I need to keep going? we begin to say the word of God, then guess what happens? His word doesn't return void. It doesn't return empty or fruitless, but it accomplishes what his word was sent to do. Wow. And so one of the most powerful things that we can do as Christians is to put his word in our mouths and speak that over situations instead of what you really want to say. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Could you imagine if God gave someone a piece of his mind? Man, it'd be a lot worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, we're talking wiped out. Oh, thank you, God, for your mercy and your grace. So here's the cool thing. So there's more to the kingdom. I don't want to go too far into the kingdom, but I do want to make this statement. When you come into the family, you get to live in his kingdom. Wow, you get to live in his kingdom. If you could travel to every nation of the world and meet people, and maybe you have, maybe you've traveled to a lot of nations around the world. 
Uh, I haven't, my wife, I had difficulty um, taking Nicole on her honeymoon because she'd already been everywhere. She'd been to Paris. She'd been to Italy. She'd been to Greece. I mean, I, it's like I went down the list and it was like, where am I going to take her? And I found out she hadn't been to Disney World. So we went to Disney World, right? I'm sorry. That has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. But, but it does make, but if you could travel like she has and meet people all across the nation, like her father travels, and you meet people, they want to come to the United States. Why? They would love to live in a free country. Freedom. Freedom. And everyone would love to be a part of the family of God. Amen? All right, so I've been reading this book called Rediscovering the Kingdom. It's written by Miles Monroe. Probably most of you guys know who that is. Um, But in his book, he gives these principles of the kingdom of God. Listen to these principles. He says this. He says, God's original plan in creation was to extend his heavenly kingdom to earth. So this is why he created the earth was he wanted to extend that kingdom to earth. And then he goes on to say that God's purpose was to establish a family of sons and daughters, not servants, not slaves. He also wanted to establish a kingdom of sons and daughters, not subjects. He, wants to establish, he wanted to establish a commonwealth of citizens, not Christians. Oh, Man, that, that, that could be a whole message just by itself right there. And, and we may do it, God willing. But as a citizen, you give up your rights. Citizen of the, of the kingdom of God, I give up my rights. I don't have the right to act certain ways or to do certain things outside of what his law says. Right? As a citizen, it goes on. He went on to say to he he wanted to he had a purpose to establish relationships, not religion, and he wanted to rule the scene from the unseen. Everything that we can see here is is because of something that we can't see that produces what's here. And then the last thing he said was to give us dominion over the earth, rulership, not. Ownership. This is such a powerful statement. So his vision for us is much more significant than what we realize, than what we know. And he thinks at another level than you and I do. And so God's goal is he wants to change our thinking. He wants to transform the way you and I think so that we can begin to think more like him. He brought out one of the things I thought was interesting in in that book that he brought out was he talked about the Roman government. You remember there was Babylon, there was Persia, right? There was, there was what, Greece that came in, and then the Romans came in, and they, and they, took, they took it over. And he, he made this comment in his book. He said, the, Ro- the reason God chose to send Jesus in the, during the Roman rule was that the Roman rule, the setup of the establishment of the Roman rule was very similar to heaven, the kingdom, the way it was laid out. I'm not saying it was heavenly because it wasn't. I'm just saying the structure was similar. And I thought, well, that's an interesting statement because think about this. Whenever Rome would take over a new area, 
They'd take over a, a, new, a new township, new city. They'd conquer a territory. They would go into that territory and they would begin to tear down all the structures and rebuild it so it looked like Rome. And they changed their language. Why? So that when Caesar came to visit, because he wouldn't come until all that was done, so that he would feel at home. So what do, what do we pray? On earth as it is in heaven. So that was God's plan all along. The, the way it is in heaven is the way it would be here on earth. Are you guys tracking with me? Good, good, okay. And so that's God's that's God's plan. And so in the light of that, now let's read James chapter 1. Let's get to what I'm talking about and give you a reason to get happy. Amen. If you're not, you probably are. But just in case, this will give you more reason. Smile even bigger. Yeah. James chapter 1. Look at verse 2. It says, dear brothers, I'm reading out of the NLT, New Living Translation. Dear brothers and sisters, which basically James is... Um, so he's the half-brother of Jesus. He was the natural brother of Jesus. He's writing to the Christian Jews. So that Greek word for brothers and sisters is also uh, refers to believers. So we could say, dear believers, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. The NIV says this. It says, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So let's take a test here. How many of you consider it great joy when you are facing trials and tribulations of any kind? Just get a smile on your face. Thank you for your honesty. She is, <laughs> Sharon said, uh, makes me grumpy. Yeah, yeah, because your flesh is grumpy because we haven't been transformed. God is transforming us. This is what the Anchor Yale Bible Dictionary had to say about joy. They said the experience of deliverance and the anticipation of salvation provide the most significant occasions for rejoicing among the people of God in the Old Testament. The coming of the Messiah who delivers his people and brings salvation becomes the basis for rejoicing in the New Testament. Now listen to this statement. The response of joy, gladness, happiness, and rejoicing is not only a deep inward feeling, but is expressed in celebration when God's people gather together. When we get together and we have church, this is a time of rejoicing. Why? Because our Savior has come. We celebrate Christmas and, and we celebrate, you know, the fact that Jesus came to the earth, but he didn't just come, he died on the cross, he was resurrected, he's seated at the right hand of power, and there he is interceding on your behalf. We have great reason for joy. No matter what we're facing, no matter what kind of trials we're going through, no matter what kind of tribulations that we are facing, we have great reason for joy. And then he says this in verse 3, in the next verse, he says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. When your faith is being tested, when you're experiencing trials, tribulations, in fact, let's go back up to verse 2. It says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, right? For you know that when your faith is tested, so uh-oh, when I'm facing trials, when I'm facing tribulations, when I'm facing tests, that means my faith is being tested. 
Okay, so if your faith is being tested, then your endurance, or we could say your patience, has a chance to grow. See, we need to learn to look beyond the trial and see what it's accomplishing for us. Jesus did that with the cross. If he would have looked at the cross and set his focus on the cross, he wouldn't have gone there. But his focus was way beyond the cross. Jesus did not, he, he didn't look at the cross. What did he look at? You. You. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, it said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the seat of the Father. So he, he did it because he could see way beyond the cross, and he could see you. And he could see, guess what? Adam, what Adam lost in the garden, Jesus has now taken back and I get my family back. And so what is he wanting? He's wanting you and I to go and to make disciples. Why? So his family, he can have his family back. He's looking for you and I to go out and to do that. Thank you, God. That's really good. So... The joy set before Jesus was not the cross, it was you. So in, in, in verse 3, I want to read it to you out of the Passion Translation. It says, for you know that when your faith is tested or when your faith passes the test, it stirs up in you the power of patience, the power of endurance. How many of you could use a little power of patience in your life? Amen, me too. Verse four says this, it says, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I wanna read that to you out of the uh, message. It says, but let patience have its perfect work. I'm sorry, this is New King James. Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect or mature. Perfect and complete, another word for that is mature. And lacking nothing. Now I'll read the message to you. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. How many of you are all about skipping (laughs) steps? I'm just going to go on to the next step. I'm good with this. I remember we were playing golf one time. And you know how you can get mulligans? How many of you know what mulligans are? So it's basically a free shot. And, you know, if it takes you more shots than you thought it was going to take you on that hole, you could use a mulligan, right? Well, we got down, there were four of us, and we had a two-foot putt, Spencer. It was a two-foot putt. And you thought we could have sunk that. All four of us missed that. But anyway, and one guy said, I'm just going to call it that we made it, and we're going to go. I was like, whoa, hey, we didn't make that shot. All right, so, yeah. So, so don't get, sorry, don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not uh, deficient in any way. So how's patience developed? It's patient, it's developed when your faith is tested. When you have opportunities and trials, tribulations, challenges that come your way. So in James uh, chapter one, look at now at verse five. We're gonna keep going. Verse 5 says this. It says, if you need wisdom, and that, because now this is going to give you the answer. This is what you need to do. If you're being faced with a trial, with a challenge, with a test, this is what you need to do. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. 
He will not rebuke you for asking. Aren't you glad about that? Over in chapter 5, verse 13, it also says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. It says it just like that. You should pray. Well, that's a good idea. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we're so used to challenges arising and, oh, I got to go and fix that. Oh, I got to go and take care of that. Oh, and we get on the phone and we start trying to call and try figuring out a way. And we totally miss the opportunity to come before the throne room and say, God, I need your help. I need your help on this, please, please. And you know, the cool thing is that you'll ask him and he's not gonna make fun of you for asking. He's gonna help you. Man, that is so good. Have you ever tried, have you ever been in a hotel, stayed somewhere where maybe you haven't stayed before and, and you woke up in the middle of the night and it's pitch black, you don't wanna wake anybody else up and so you're trying to make it to the bathroom? Oh man, you know. And so nine out of 10 of us are gonna bump into something, right? Why? You can't see. And so what happens when you flick the light switch on? A miracle happens. You know right where to go. Well, that's what the word of God is. The word of God is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. That means I can see right in front of me and I can see what's coming. Why? Because God's light has been shed on it. Man, thank you, God, for your light. John Wesley said this. He said, God does does nothing but by prayer and everything with it. Man, good reason to pray. James 4, 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. Might might think about asking, amen? And then it goes on to verse 6, and it says, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with a divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. So instability comes from a divided loyalty. Man, that's something that God's really been dealing with me in lately. He's been revealing areas in my life where I love the world more than him in this area. And it's been convicting my heart. And I've been making changes as he reveals it to you. Thank God he doesn't reveal everything to you at one time. Because I think we'd just be a depressed mess. You know, we'd be like, why do I try? You know, But God helps you. He helps you fix three things before he reveals three more things. That needs to be fixed, and I'm thankful for that. But let's look at a couple of examples here. Uh, Turn over to Luke chapter 1. I want to read a little bit of a part of the Christmas story since we're in the Christmas season. But Luke chapter 1, and look at verse 11. In Luke chapter 1, we did this, um, some of this. Well, first I want to talk about Zechariah. You remember Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. And it came his time to do the duties in the temple. And so he was the one that needed to go in into the holy place and present the sacrifice before God. And a miracle happened while he was in there. The angel met him. And the angel began to talk to him. And and he said this to Zechariah. 
he said, don't be afraid. It's interesting, every time an angel shows up and they see you, the very first thing they say is, don't be afraid. So they must be pretty awesome to behold. Huh. I mean, otherwise, why would they say that? Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. This is verse 13. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. So notice that he says that God has heard your prayer. So here comes an answer to his prayer, a prayer that he has prayed, probably for some time, because now he's up in years, older, and he doesn't have a son. Right? And then verse 14, it says, You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. Um, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. Glory to God. And he, t- and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord, their God, and he will be a man with the spirit of power like Elijah. Man, that's awesome. And he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord, right? And so listen to how Zechariah, jump down to verse 18. Listen to how Zechariah responds. Zechariah says, how can I be sure that this will happen? In other words, are you really sure that this is going to happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you did not believe, listen to that phrase, since you did not believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. Now, look at another story just a little further down from that, another situation where an angel appears to Mary. In, uh, in verse 26, it talks about that Elizabeth, she's in her sixth month of pregnancy, that God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, uh, to this village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to Joseph, uh, who's a descendant of King David. And Gabriel appears to her, and he says, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. And in verse 29, it says, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. In the the New King James, it said that, that his greeting troubled her. Have you ever been in a situation where you can sense that God is about to say something to you? It's almost like he throws out little, little nuggets to, you know, that you, that you eat on that's like, gets you thinking in that direction. And then the ask comes. Have you ever noticed that? that It's like he's preparing your heart for something great for the next step. And so that's kind of what it seems like as as he begins to come and to talk to Mary. But I want you to notice a couple of things. And and when we were at Jesus 21, Heidi Baker brought this out. And I just went, oh, my word. It just, wow. And she was talking about how Mary, he comes and he says, favored woman, highly favored Mary, you are favored by God. Well, we as Christians, we love favor, don't we? Hey, man, the best parking place, get treated like a VIP, get escorted to the front, get the best seats. By the way, I just want to let you know that all of the seating is available here at Vision Church. Uh, just a little side note. Um, and so she's, but notice, 
Notice that, you know, he, say, he calls her favored one. Well, we have this concept of what favor looks like, but then notice what he says. This is the kind of favor that's getting ready to come on Mary. Look at what he says. He says, don't be afraid. So he begins the same way with Mary. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favor with God. Most Christians would be jumping out of their skin by now. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. So, uh, what? And he will be very great, and he will be called the son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? Doesn't this sound familiar? Isn't that what Zechariah said? How can this be since I'm an old man? And Mary's saying the same thing. The Holy Spirit, he's, she said, but how can this happen? Because I'm a virgin. She's not married. And so the angel replied, he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow shadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. And then verse 37, he goes on to say that the word of God will never fail. And so notice that the kind of favor that comes on Mary is the kind of favor that gets you pregnant outside of wedlock, that gets you stoned with the community, that causes your fiance to just put you away, that causes your parents to go, okay, what soldier did you sleep with? I mean, be honest with us. What happened? Were you raped? I mean, you know what I mean? Because the only person that God shows up in a dream and shares with him what's going on is Joseph. He's the only one. It doesn't record anywhere that he went and talked to the parents, talked to the family, talked to the community and said, hey, it's all right, it's all right. The son of God is going to be born through Mary. Nobody knows that. But yet Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything that you said about me come true. Why? Because her happiness was in walking out God's plan and purpose for her life, even though it would bring challenges, persecution, trials, tribulation, trouble. But I want you to notice what it says in 2 Peter 2.9. It says, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials. But you have to, we have to put more faith in him than in the trial. But sometimes when a trial comes or a challenge or a test comes to a person's life, sometimes they treat it like, like it's a tsunami when it's only about this high. You ever been in the wave pool? It'll knock you around. Have you ever been in a tsunami? Whole different animal. I have never been in one. Don't want to be. I've seen them on video. They look terrible. Saw a movie about it. But... But we shouldn't have the perspective that my trial that I'm going through is a tsunami. It's not. Why? Because my faith is in God. My trust and my hope is in him. Let me tell you this. When, when my mom and um, Rebecca, why don't you come and help me here? When my mom experienced a massive heart attack um, back in 2011, I remember when we were in the hospital and everything that went on. And they nearly lost her. 
uh, on the elevator when she first arrived. And the nurses were concerned about her because they'd seen that situation before. And most of the time in that situation, the person didn't make it. And as we were walking this through and we're standing in faith and we're believing God for a miracle in my mom's life, the Lord took me to a scripture that I had always associated with moral issues, never with a temptation to not believe. Because the one thing that God wants from me as a, as a Christian is faith, is to believe. That's the one thing that I'm responsible for. See, I, I can't heal anybody. But when I pray, my job is to pray and to believe what his word said and to act on his word. That these sons will follow those who believe that I will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And I remember I had laid my hands on mom and I would prayed for her. And I remember I was in the waiting area and you begin to think, what can I do? What can I do? Because we don't like to wait, do we? Why? Because wait requires patience. And God's not a McDonald's drive-thru. We got to get on his page. And I remember I went back, I went back to the waiting area and I began to walk back and forth and I just began to pray and to seek God. And I was praying in the spirit. And I just made up my mind. I was like, you know, I'm going to pray all night. And my dad was sitting over in the corner of the waiting area. And I was praying in the Holy Spirit. And I had just started. And I walked this way and I turned. And I started walking back and I looked where he was sitting. And he said, Phil, go home. You're not doing any good. I thought, that's kind of a mean thing to say. <laughs> but anyway, I didn't have time to think about it. The Holy Spirit spoke to my heart instantaneously, right as soon as he said it. And he said, Phil, you've already prayed. Now you need to believe the prayer that you prayed. And I went. And I said, God, I need you. And so I sat down. And I said, God, I need you to show me how to stand in faith. I don't know how to stand in faith. I'll just be honest with you. I don't know how to do it. And I looked down on the table in front of me, and there was a Gideon's Bible that I'd brought up from the other waiting room and thank God for the Gideons that I found downstairs and of course you know when you run out of the house in an emergency you don't have time to grab your Bible and back then we didn't have the Bible app on our phones and so I grabbed the Bible and I began to look for scriptures that had to do with mom's situation why because of the scripture in Isaiah Isaiah 55 11 so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, empty, or fruitless, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it will prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So we began to look through the Bible and we began to find scriptures on breath. And as soon as I started looking, my phone rang. And it was Nicole. And she said, I found this scripture in Isaiah. Write this down, you know, listen to this. And I listened to the scripture and wrote it down. And then my dad jumped on the wagon and he grabbed his Bible and he started flipping through and he started looking for scriptures because mom was having a hard time getting her breath. Now, not every battle is the same, okay? I'm, not, I'm just telling you what happened in this situation. 
But as I began to look for scriptures, I found the scripture in Psalms that says, my heart is steadfast, oh God, my heart is steadfast because her heart muscle was just declining. It wasn't pumping. Your heart's a muscle and it wasn't working the way that it needed to work and it wasn't pumping. And I found that scripture and I went, wait, my heart is steadfast, oh God, my heart is steadfast. He said it twice. That's a heartbeat. And I grabbed that scripture and read it to my wife and we began to write it down. And by the time... By the time mom walked out of the hospital, 16 weeks. It was 16 weeks. Days. No, I have to say weeks. Sorry. Days. 16 days. Yeah. That's a little different than weeks. And uh, thank God. That would be. Uh, but, but, you know, here was the deal. When we had taken her to the hospital and it, and it was, I'd been there overnight and I hadn't seen my family. The next day was Sunday. This was on a Saturday evening. The next day was a Sunday. And so my wife had to do church by herself, you know, because at that time we were pastoring, or pastoring a church. And so she came with, my, with Zach and Becca who were, you know, somewhere around here and to the hospital afterwards. Maybe they were older. They were more like this. Okay, sorry. And... And they came to the hospital and they got off the elevator. And as soon as I saw them get off the elevator, I just broke down and started bawling. And I couldn't stop. I was just crying. And crying, I thought, oh, this looks great. The big faith man you are, you're bawling. But you know what the Lord taught me in it? Was when I was able to finally stop and gather myself. I looked at Nicole in the eye and I said, this is not my faith. These are emotions. See, sometimes we think emotions are attached to our faith. Sometimes we think in worship that if I'm not feeling it, I can't do it. No, we need to go ahead and love on our king and then the, the emotions will follow the action. I mean, sometimes I'm not feeling real lovey-dovey and clingy-clingy. But sometimes Nicole will reach over and grab my hand and she'll hold my hand. And I'll suddenly, after a little bit, I get clingy and huggy and lovey-dovey. And Why? Because the emotions followed the action. Let me tell you, we were not designed to allow the emotions to dictate our faith. They're just emotions. They're emotions. They will follow you. They will follow your faith. So I want to read. I thought I had one more scripture for you, but I don't. So that's a good place to wrap up right there. How about it? I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that in the midst of trials, in the midst of challenges, tests, tribulations, that we can rejoice because of what it is producing in us. So whenever you have a trial, whenever you have a circumstance or a tribulation, a test that comes your way, how about checking yourself and going, you know what? I'm walking through this. Some of you are walking through it right now. And you haven't been very happy maybe about it. But now I think in the light of James chapter one, you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, I can flip the script on this. I don't have to be frustrated, down, 
irritated just because challenges are coming my way. But I can let them help perfect in me what God needs perfected so the next challenge won't be as difficult. So you know what will happen? A a better challenge will come. (laughs) And you'll get to do it again. But look at what it's producing in you. So don't get down in the moldy grubs about it. Don't get down and depressed or frustrated about it, but allow it to produce in you. So um, we were, so, so we're at Jesus 21. They, you know, we got there, gates opened at two. And so I told Zach, I said, we probably will want to get there early to get a seat because they had a limited a number of seats. We had actually gone to Bass Pro and bought a couple of chairs just in case. We didn't know what the seating was going to look like. And so, and it just so happened, we got there early enough that, talk about the favor of God, they, anyway, we got there early enough, we were able to get a seat way up front in the nice chairs. And so I thought, oh, this is a good thing. So I thought, well, since we have time, I'm going to go and and see what there is to eat, you know, because we're going to want to eat something. And so I went back, you know, and I'm looking at all the options and there's, I mean, there's barbecue and I mean, there's all this heavy, heavy food. (laughs) This is pretty much every truck. And I thought, well, maybe I can get by on some onion rings or something, you know. And, but then I found a smoothie truck. They were doing the smoothie bowls. Have you ever had a smoothie bowl? Oh, oh man, yeah. That's a whole new world right there. And so, so I got in line. Well, the interesting thing about the line was it was way back. There were like 19 people in line. And I'm in the back. And I look at every other food truck, and there's nobody. I thought, well, I'm obviously in the right line because this is where the good food is. I mean, there's a reason that all these people are in line, right? And so as I'm waiting in line, people keep getting in line. Friends, you know, of people that they know that are already in line. Well, that's just making it long. I stood in line for two hours. And when I got to the front, when I thought my patience had been exhausted, when I got to the very front and finally stepped up to the counter, he said, sir, I will be with you in a moment. And he turned because he had to make, there was a group in front of me of like eight people, so he had to help make the eight smoothies. So I got to wait for another. (laughs) And so by the time... I got, finally got my smoothie bowl and I got one for Zach. I'm racing back to our seats because we have seven minutes to eat it before Jeremy Riddle takes us into the throne room. And so, so I had an opportunity as I'm standing in line to get frustrated. And then there was a young man that turned around and started witnessing to me. And and I didn't stop him because he's a young guy and he's doing a good job. And he just started whispering, man, would you mind if I prayed for you? I said, no, man, I'd love it, please. And so he, he prayed for me and he prayed a great prayer. And then I, heard, I overheard him when he left. He walked around the corner and he said, yeah, I prayed for this guy, you know, and he pointed at me. I'm trying to not notice that I, trying to act like I don't notice him. Okay, you can let it frustrate you or you can let it develop in you. Which are you going to do?